This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in to AOA on this Friday, January 28th. A lot of things are going on in the ag industry. It was announced yesterday that some new tariffs are going to be applied to fertilizer coming out of both Russia and the country of Trinidad and Tobago. We'll be talking to Jason Trundle of the Fertilizer Institute here in segment two about just what those tariffs are going to mean at the farm gate. Segment three today, we are going to be talking with Mr. Arlen Suderman. The bean market is wild today, and Arlen's going to give us some updates on what to expect here as we uh, get prepared to shut down trading for the weekend. First, however, though, we're going to talk taters here on AOA. Cam Quarles, the CEO of the National Potato Council, joins us. And Cam, the past few days, we've been hearing a lot about the trucking industry in Canada. They're frustrated about the vaccine mandate to cross the border. Obviously, border crossing is vital for the potato industry. How are you guys coping with this? Yeah, Mike. Uh, happy Friday. Thanks for having me on. Uh, the you know the supply chain issues have obviously been a huge challenge over uh, the really the course of this whole COVID crisis. Um, we've we're, we've watched with great interest what's going on in Canada on their vaccine mandate. Uh, we the just a just a week ago, the Biden administration also implemented. Uh, a vaccine mandate for uh, uh, foreign nationals who are crossing at land borders here into the United States, which would include uh, truckers as well as uh, foreign guest workers, H-2A workers who serve agriculture. Um, these, it, you know, re- re- obviously, there's a public health element to this, which is significant and needs to be taken seriously. Our Our concern with specifically on what the Biden administration did was just simply the timing of it. Um, there was really only about 30 hours notice before uh, the the uh, mandate went into effect. And you can imagine for a supply chain that is so tightly integrated, uh, all of the intermodal connections that need to be made to get potatoes to processing facilities or to retailers, when you when you change the rules of the game in that short a period of time, it can cause some real challenges. So, uh, the uh, lo- long long story short, um, it's it's been a challenge over the over the past few weeks in 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 dealing with these changes to our supply chain. Cam, do you feel as though it's moderating? I understand some of these uh, these mandates were only temporary. I believe one only lasted until April. Do you think we're going to be able to to get through it here after this chaotic first couple weeks? Oh, sure. Uh, you know, there's there's no doubt about that, Mike. Uh, the I, I have great confidence over over my uh, thirty plus year career dealing with uh, with the agriculture industry in the United States and in North America. We we have great resilience and ability to to deal with all of these challenges. But you know, when they first start off, it, it, a, a lot of folks, you know, when you go to your grocery store, uh, you see this huge bounty of agricultural products lining the aisles. And it's kind of out, out of sight, out of mind how they got there. Um, and it's only when you have the supply chain become impaired with all of these shipping challenges, these trucking issues, and the store shelves aren't full that you realize, wow, it, it really is an incredible machine that's running kind of out of sight, out of mind that delivers this and has such great benefits for all American consumers and consumers around the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's vital what truckers do and uh, making sure that that everything we've got is where it needs to be. So hats off to those folks making sure that we can still get to the store and get what we need. Cam, I also want to talk to you while you're talking about North American potato production. There's been a bit of a kink coming from Prince Edward Island up in Canada. Now, for our folks who aren't tuned into the world of potatoes, can you give us the the short story? What happened on PEI and, and what's going on with their potatoes? Yeah, it's been a this has been a challenge that they've been dealing with for uh it's we're going on two decades now, Mike. There's a 
unfortunately, a highly destructive disease that affects, it, it doesn't affect human health, but it affects potato production. It's called potato wart. Um, it, it can really devastate uh, potato production. Canada faced this in one of their other, other provinces, Newfoundland. Effectively, there's no potato production to speak of in Newfoundland anymore they, it, because this disease got out of control. Prince Edward Island, big potato producer. Um, they have been dealing with this disease for 20 years or better. Um, they've had some recent disease detections in the last 18 months. Those disease detections got to such a level that uh, the Canadian authorities, along with USDA, uh, agreed to pause exports to the United States. They also suspended shipments of certain types of potatoes to other Canadian provinces and then suspended exports of certain potatoes to, to other countries as well. It's a, it's a big, it, it, this, this disease issue has a lot of implications. The, I think the good part of it is, go ahead, Mike. Well, I was just going to say, is this a soil fungus? Is that the concern that the potatoes are going to carry it on their, uh, what do you call it, a potato skin, obviously, and then, and then it'll, it'll transfer to yeah. other geogra geographies? Is that the concern? Yeah, it's the, it, it is a very hardy fungus, and essentially it can lay dormant in the soil for 40 years or better. And when it comes in contact with host material, which it's not just potatoes, but potatoes obviously are our focus, it comes in, even though it's been sitting there for four decades, once it gets in contact with a potato, it's off and running again, and it can just tear through a production area. And so the United States doesn't have it. We don't want it. Um, we want to work with PEI to make sure that any exports coming from their um, production areas are coming from clean fields. Uh, we think that we can solve this problem. We don't want to have these exports suspended uh, indefinitely. But we also, you know, you're talking about better than a $300 million direct economic hit to the U.S. potato industry if this disease gets into one of our production areas. It's just something we cannot suffer. It's it's the African swine fever of potatoes. It sounds like you can't get rid of it. It lives there forever. We do not want it on our shores. Cam, um, does it sound as though they are going to be resuming exports from PEI sooner rather than later? I saw news that maybe they'd be going into Puerto Rico rather soon, those potatoes. Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, the Secretary Vilsack and his uh, counterpart, uh, Ag Minister Bebeau, met here in D.C. at the Canadian Embassy yesterday. And they talked about the technical process, uh, the, the need to, to uh, accelerate that technical process to figure out what, uh, what types of exports can resume and where they can resume to. Um, Puerto Rico has been suggested because that, um, that island, the U.S. territory, is served by uh, PEI exclusively by ocean freight. And so there's... There, there's a thought that there's less risk there. You know, obviously the, the Puerto Rican authorities have got to agree to that, but um, we're, we're hopeful that we can restart this process once all the technical information is in. All right, we can get more of uh, America's number one vegetable on people's plates. Cam Quarles, CEO of the National Potato Council. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Always good to talk to you, Mike. Happy Friday. Yeah, same to you and folks. When we return, Fertilizer with Jason Trundle. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom, covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today.
recently on AOA. Josh Linville, the director of fertilizer from Stone X, is joining me. And Josh, urea price is down for the second week in a row. Is the peak behind us? We're uh, we're finally starting to kind of get ahead of this thing. It seems like we've killed enough demand. You know, we've got production back up and running here globally. But at the same point. Some of the stuff going on with Russia, you can certainly paint a picture that we've got another peak in front of us. I think we've got a heck of a roller coaster ahead of us. How should producers be handling purchases? Of- I think you've got to keep having a conversation out there with your supplier. We've always been you know, focused on the, the pricing of it and supplies and things like that, but we've also got to remember we're midway through January. We are not that far away from spring starting up. And as hard as it is for a lot of the farmers to pull the trigger on buying the product, that retailer's in the exact same boat. The more we can have the conversation with them, and you don't even have to pull the trigger, but at least give them a heads up of, hey, I need this much, I need that much for this time frame, that time frame. Give them a fighting chance for trying to get those supplies in place so that they're ready for you when you show up on the door. For the information important to rural America, join us on AOA. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, We can make a difference, bite by bite. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed, AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in today. Well, we got some more news from the Commerce Department yesterday. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've got a press release here from CF Industries, one of the uh, the larger fertilizer producers. They were happy yesterday that the Commerce Department has... Uh, let me get this right here. They've come up with an affirmative an affirmative preliminary determination in their anti-dumping duty. Basically, CF is excited that we are going to get to put additional tariffs on UAN coming out of both Russia and Trinidad. Well, the fertilizer market continues to be volatile. This past week, I got the chance to moderate a panel for the Iowa Soybean Association, and on that panel was Jason Trundle. He's the uh, Director of Market Intelligence at the Fertilizer Institute. We had a fantastic discussion. Wanted to bring him on the show and have that discussion with all of you. Jason, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity to, to uh, join you. Well, these tariffs have been uh, in conversation here in the ag industry for some time. We've seen the national corn growers come out and really try to, uh, to to rally the Commerce Department to reflect on the fact that fertilizer prices are high. Apparently, at least in my reading of the situation, it sounds like we're going to get additional tariffs. Jason, can you fill us in on a little more details about what might be coming here from uh, Russia and Trinidad and Tobago? Yeah, um, absolutely. So first, you know, just want to point out that that announcement did come out um, yesterday. And so uh, as we step back and think a little bit about uh, these kind of trade cases, really um, uh, a few important things to keep in mind. So first, this is actually a, a nonpartisan uh, kind of group or um, uh, the uh, the ITC um, and the uh, and ITA um, who actually kind of deliberate through this process. I almost think a little bit more about it as almost like a, a court process, right? And so they kind of go through and really they're asking two main questions. The first question is, you know, is there uh, what the U.S. government has deemed as unfair competitive activities um, in a, a foreign market or by a foreign producer? Um, so yes or no to that. And then second, is there material damage to the domestic industry? And if those two things come back affirmative, as we've seen in this um, a most recent announcement, then what they do is they go ahead and they calculate and levy um, a specific duty or, or a tariff on product um, from those countries that would be coming into the United States. Gotcha. And the idea is 
we're going to prevent foreign competitors from dumping fertilizer on the U.S. market and pushing U.S. production out of bounds, uh, basically, is the theory. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And so that's, you know, that's kind of the, in, the, the intent when you think about dumping, it's basically they're coming in and, and putting product or kind of flooding the product on the market um, at a at a lower than production um, kind of cost. Uh, so, yep, it's a way to help protect uh, uh, developing and maintaining a robust domestic production. All right. And so these specific tariffs, the one that were announced yesterday, it looks like the actual tariff rate is going to be about nine and a half ish, almost 10 percent on Russian imports and just shy of two percent on Trinidadian imports. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, so that's for the countervailing duty side. Um, those rates um, are a little bit more in terms of the, the anti-dumping. So there's really kind of two components of this. So the first one um, with the countervailing duties, basically what that is is saying that there may be some unfair subsidization of um, the production in the domestic country. And so that's how they came up with those calculations that they released, I believe, um, at the end of last year. And then what recently came out is basically showing that how, that that these companies companies or countries are bringing product in um, and then uh, kind of selling it or selling it into the United States at a lower than uh, production cost. Again, maybe, uh, you know, trying to basically gain market share uh, quickly uh, through that. So those rates are are a little bit higher um, on the anti-dumping side. All right. Well, let's talk through some of the fundamentals here in the fertilizer market. Uh, Jason, we've continued to see urea come come down a little bit. Now it seems to have found a little more strength. Let, let's talk urea first. Where do you see that market going in the short term? Yeah, so as the Fertilizer Institute, unfortunately, I can't uh, make any forward uh, projections on price. But what I can say is, yeah, um, we did kind of see the urea market, particularly the, the NOAA um, port kind of maybe bounce or have a small, uh, you know, maybe what we consider market correction there. And so uh, what we've kind of been hearing is that uh, we had a, a significant amount of imports that came in at the end of last year um, and, and, and traders and folks may have liquidated some of those positions. Um, and so that maybe has caused uh, that market to kind of come down uh, a, a little bit. Um, and so we'll just have to kind of see where, where, where it may go from here. All right. On the UAN side, oh yeah, we're talking tariffs, but we've also got to talk availability. What's happening there with with uh, with UAN? Yeah, um, great question. So I think um, you know uh, one thing that we see. So we have the ability uh, as the fertilizer institute. We happen to collect production data um, across the United States, and so I think we. As we go out, whether it's, uh, you know, at Christmas when I go home, I get questions from my uncles or whoever it is that are that are growers and they're asking, hey, am I going to be able to get product? And so with the data that TFI collects, you know, we don't envision um, a scenario where there is a widespread supply shortage um, of product, whether that's UAN or urea um, or phosphates or anything like that. But what we are seeing is, you know, Obviously, with, with uh, kind of logistics challenges, there may be markets where there's temporary disruptions um, that we'll see. So when we think specifically about UAN, um, I think, you know, with, with things that are changing in the market, we'll just kind of have to see how global trade patterns uh, potentially change and how things kind of sort themselves out um, because the demand's still going to be there um, for the product. And so we just got to figure out um, and kind of, like I said, readjust where that product is necessarily coming from. Um, so that's maybe what we'd see is, like I said, we, we wouldn't envision that any, um, you know, mass shortage on nitrogen or, or P or K, um, but it may be, uh, you know, there may be temporary disruptions here and there, as there are in many years, just due to logistical challenges. Yeah. And this year, I mean, it really sounds to me, and I'm certainly no expert, Jason, but it, if there's going to be an availability issue this year, it, it's going to come from the, the trucking side, is, is what I've heard from several folks. Is that something you agree with? It's just that last mile delivery might be a real concern this year. Yeah, I think we've we've definitely heard um, that concern as well, not only from our industry, but just anyone that can relies on truck. In the United States, um, fertilizer touches a truck at least once in its life cycle, um, whether that's, you know, going from a, a terminal to uh, a retailer or a retailer right to your farm. Um, and so I think just availability of trucks and getting that product to where it needs to be, we've gotten really good at just-in-time delivery, and just-in-time delivery is great. 
until you have a have a disruption. And so hopefully if we have a nice spring that comes in and kind of warms up in the south and folks can kind of focus on, you know, moving product there and then maybe slowly move north as the, the planting season and, and field work starts to begin this spring, that could be really helpful. But absolutely, it, it'll be key to, to kind of focus on or, or see what happens in the trucking space to be sure that we can get product when we need it, where we need it, um, when we need it. On the uh, the P and K side of the fertilizer ledger, Jason, what's uh, what's developing in those markets? Yeah, so I think we see continued robust um, uh, just kind of overall demand for that. So on the potash side um, in particular, um, so there's uh, some strong markets around uh, palm oil um, in Southeast Asia that continues to uh, just you know keep keep uh, demand fairly strong uh, in that regard. And, you know, similarly, when we look at uh, from potash, the, the sanctions on Belarus. Um, so Belarus accounts for about 21% of all global potash exports. And anytime you take um, that amount of product kind of off of the global market, um, right, it puts upward pressure on price um, because more folks have to go to that or the same number of folks have to go to the market to get less product. Um, similarly, on, on the phosphate side, I think we continue to see strong demand there and actions like China, um, who have banned exports of phosphate materials, they account for 25% of the global phosphate market. Again, anytime you remove that product from the global market and the same, you know, the same buyers are going out there, that's going to continue to put, put upward pressure on price. So I think, you know, as we look forward, we'll have to see where some of those um, you know, those global and geopolitical uh, activities go um, and how that may then uh, affect uh, the, the prices and just uh, kind of the general market uh, landscape of those various products. China, just to, as a quick follow-up, they have those export bans through June. Um, so it'll be really interesting come June when and if those, those bans are removed, then what does that kind of look like in terms of uh, kind of the overall global market? Um, which obviously in turn affects the U.S. market. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where you pull the thread in China and we feel the impact here in the United States. It will be interesting that that Chinese export ban through June, boy, this summer could get wild when we look to see whether or not they're going to remove that. Jason Trundle from the Fertilizer Institute, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Absolutely, thanks for having me. And folks, stay tuned. When AOA returns, we're going to be checking in with Arlen Suderman of StoneX. A lot of green in the markets today. Arlen will let us know if that's going to continue. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, soybeans and bean oil surging to new contract highs as we work through Friday morning. Quarters along for the ride and came within a half cent from the high made in June. Falling South American production ideas along with the uncertainty with respect to Russia-Ukraine appears to be driving the gains. We also saw some hefty soybean export sales announced exporting to China, Mexico, and unknown destinations. Just over 600,000 metric tons between the three for the current and next marketing year. 
We also saw palm oil reach new record highs in the overnight trade. The soy market is uh, seemingly telling us it believes the South America crop much smaller than what is currently being published. That's being seen in the futures as well as the cash market where bids for summer Brazil loadings are now more expensive than U.S. bids. All of this together giving us an opportunity to run higher, it appears, on this Friday here in the grain market. Right now, March soybeans up 22 at three quarters, 1471. July beans up 20, 1473 and a half. March bean meal up 630 a ton at 411. March bean oil up 153.6587. March quart up five at three quarters, 631. July quart up four at a quarter, 620 at a quarter. March Chicago wheat up six at a quarter, 783 at a quarter. March Kansas City wheat up seven at eight and a half. March Minneapolis spring wheat up 14 and a half at 917. Cattle and hogs are higher, led by hogs. February up 132, 88.35. April hogs up 190, 96.57. March feeder cattle up 25, 159.75. April up 17, 165.27. February lime cattle up 40, 138.22. April up 42, 142.05. Crude oil up $2.08 a barrel, 88.69. The Dow Jones down 268 points. The dollar fractionally lower. You're listening to AOA. For the American Ag Network, I'm Jesse Allen. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Looking over at the markets today, folks, there is a lot of green on the screen. Livestock, mostly, well, almost all positive. One milk contract in the red. Over on the grain side, similar story. Rice looks like the only one that's uh, maybe finding a little bit of weakness today. Well, to talk us through this enthusiasm in the commodity sector, Arlen Suderman of StoneX is joining me in Arlen. New contract highs and front month soybeans. Do you think this is going to run for a while? Well, it seems to me like we're in an environment right now where the the funds are looking at chart objectives that are above the market, and they're looking for excuses to do that, and they're finding excuses. Some of these same excuses, if the chart signals were lower, they'd be skeptical of, um, but they're certainly going to look at these uh, fundamental excuses as long as the chart objectives are higher and the momentum is in that direction, as long as momentum is in that direction. And part of that momentum is created by the fact that the Fed created even more uncertainty when it met on Tuesday and Wednesday this week rather than providing clarity. Uh, Wall Street doesn't have any confidence at all that the Fed is really knows what it's going to do in controlling inflation and so that makes the commodities attractive. So what are the fundamental factors they're looking at? Uh, you've heard of them before, the drought in uh, South America, particularly southern Brazil and Argentina. Argentina's had some really soaking rains here over the last couple of weeks, and almost all areas have received some. The crop ratings that came out from Argentina yesterday did show a bump in, in those ratings, but it, it's still way down from where they were. The ratings are still relatively low. The bump was much smaller than I think what the trade expected. And when you look at Brazil, the size of that crop is going to be critical in determining what happens with our export target. We've been arguing that the export target needs to go down because of the early harvest in Brazil and China switching to Brazilian supplies early. 
but now the cash market in Brazil is starting to say it's really worried about the size of that crop. Bids for a July loading of soybeans in Brazil are now priced above U.S. loadings, meaning the cash market in Brazil is afraid that this crop in Brazil is going to be so small that they're going to run out. Their shelves are going to be empty by the time we get to midsummer of our, our midsummer, their midwinter, and that China is going to have to come back to the United States um, before we've had our next harvest. And that does raise the prospects then that maybe we can hit USDA's target, keep supplies relatively snug, and so the market is pricing in more risk premium uh, against that risk. Fascinating. Arlen, we, we've seen this bean oil market really be the driver. We're up a buck 50, buck 60 today in some of the, the spring month contracts. And I, I know palm oil is, of course, a, a larger commodity globally, and palm oil prices have been moving. I'm not all that plugged in to the palm oil market, to be honest. Arlen, what's going on with palm oil, and why is it spilling over so strongly into soybeans? Well, it's really kind of what we're seeing in a lot of different commodities is there's worries about supply chain disruptions and and uh, supply falling short of demand. We're seeing a lot of countries start to put on restrictions, and Indonesia is the latest of these, restricting the amount of palm oil that can be exported to make sure it protects supplies for domestic use. We're seeing countries like China and Russia do the same thing on fertilizer, and that's helping contribute to higher fertilizer prices around the world, in addition to other factors as well. And But on the palm oil, that's what's going on. We're really seeing that in the whole edible oil uh, complex right now. Uh, these new renewable fuels that are coming on that are standalone fuels, they're not blended with the fossil fuels, but they're standalone fuels made out of the edible oils, and soy oil is one of the principal feedstocks for that. It, we're just on the front end of that, but the market's kind of anticipating that demand continuing to grow through 2022 and then especially into 2023. So everyone's trying to get a piece of the supplies that are out there. And that's one of the reasons we see Indonesia hold tight to the supplies they have to make sure that their customers that are overseas don't buy up all their supplies and they don't have anything domestically. So palm oil's at record high prices. And now we're seeing the increase in soy oil, even though our U.S. soy oil stocks are very comfortable right now. Um, but much of the supplies going forward in the future have been spoken for, and there's real concerns, particularly if Brazil does have a short crop. And if Argentina has a short crop, with some forecasters thinking it's going to turn dry again as we go back into February, which is the critical month in Argentina, kind of like our August is in the Midwest. So the whole edible oils complex continues to trend higher as a result. Arlen Stonex was one of the first groups to really fairly aggressively cut that Brazilian potential soybean harvest. Uh, you guys came down, I think, 10, 15 million metric tons in Brazilian production. Is that still the number you're standing by, or do you think it might come down a little bit more as, uh, as time goes on? We're gathering data right now and uh, be releasing the uh, updated production estimates next week. And uh, that will give us our updated picture of what's happening in Brazil. And the key is how, how do the good yields in the northern two-thirds really offset the problems in the south and just how bad are the problems in the south? That's really the key. We know the yields are good in the north. Uh, how bad are they in the south? So uh, our updated data will come out the middle of next week, and that's usually one of the first private estimates to come out. And our estimates have been relatively close to where um, the other local domestic Brazil estimates have been as well. So that gives us some consistency coming out of Brazil and some confidence in those numbers. Arlen, looking up at the corn market, old crop corn up, you know, seven, six, seven cents today. We're well over six dollars here in the old crop. Are we seeing the market grow concerned about Brazil's safrina production? You know, I don't think it's really concerned about Brazil safrina yet, and I think that is something we need to be concerned about because if producers down there are telling us they're going to 
they're going to cut back on fertilizer rates because of high prices this year. And as I talk to climatologists, there is some concern that this La Nina, which is now waning as expected, if you look back at the analog years, in years when La Nina wanes or, or kind of fades away at this time of year, that tends to bring an early demise of the monsoon season. And what Brazil's safrina crop needs is that for that monsoon season to continue through April to get the crop through the pollination early grain fill period of time. And so if that ends early, that could cut those yields as well. So that's something to be concerned about. But I think the corn and wheat markets are primarily right now concerned about the tensions that are on the Ukraine and Russian border. Ukraine's responsible for 16% of the world's corn trade on the global marketplace. And Russian and, and Ukraine combined are responsible for 29%, almost a third of the world's wheat trade. So that's really why we're seeing some risk premium come back in on the, both the corn and wheat markets this morning. Arlen, you touched about the fears of inflation. We're seeing investors grow concerned about what's going to happen with the federal funds rate as the year goes on. As we see these, these large-scale investors mm, fear inflation and rush into commodities, these markets can be volatile. Where do you see this that particular dynamic playing out as the year goes on. If we see the Fed hike rates, are we going to see the commodities sell off real quickly right after? Well, it, it depends. If they feel like uh, the rate hikes are too slow and not controlling inflation, similar to what we saw maybe in the late 70s, uh, then they want to hold because they're going to feel like inflation is going to still be out of hand and they need to have that hedge against inflation. Because over history, there's a pretty good correlation between inflation expectations and ownership of the commodities and what happens with commodity prices. If they feel like the Fed uh, goes too far and too aggressive and shuts things down too fast, um, then that would be a cause for thinking, okay, inflation is going to go zero. Maybe we go to deflation and money flow out of the commodities. So it's going to be based on their interpretation of the Fed's action, whether it's enough, whether it's too much, whether it's not enough, um, that interpretation. And there could be some volatile times in there as those interpretations change from month to month until we really see a, uh, some confidence that the Fed has a handle on us because the Fed really hasn't got a whole lot right about this yet. And so uh, what what is there to convince us that they know what to do now? And so that's why there's all this uncertainty. And for now, they're hedging their bet that inflation is going to stick with us through the year. And it looks like they're hedging their bet, Arlen, not just in the grains and the livestock markets, but also energy. Natural gas has been moving like crazy the last three or four days. What's going on in the energy sector? Yeah, as we look at natural gas, we've had some parts of the country that have been quite cold. And as we look at natural gas reserves right now, they're lower than what we'd like to see them for this time of year. We've got some more cold air coming into the eastern half of the country, raising those heating needs even further. And then when you look at what's happening in Europe and Russia and the, and the geopolitical risk there, worries that Russia might cut off the gas supply to Germany and other parts of Europe, uh, that has big implications for the fertilizer industry and we're seeing fertilizer prices start to pop again this week as we close out the week I should say over the last day or two as well on those concerns and a similar story in crude oil that WTI contract Arlen is within spitting distance of $90 boy this thing is moving Do you think that's going to keep climbing yeah, as we look at the Omicron numbers, that was the primary thing holding back the demand outlook. But the Omicron numbers are now starting to fall very fast on a national basis. Depends on the individual state you're in. And that means we're removing some of those restrictions on growth and demand. And as we look at OPEC, they're having trouble keeping up with their production quotas. So supplies are tightening up around the world of crude oil. Tight supplies, not just in crude, almost in everything. Arlen Suderman of Stonex, thanks so much for taking the time to share your insight with us. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA, a couple of big headlines to talk about when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? 
they've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Agriculture of America, John Holzman, he's the geopolitical strategist and managing partner at John C. Holzman Enterprises. John, let's talk odds. You mentioned you see Putin making a move. If you had to lay a, a figure on it, would you say it's over 50 percent? I do. It's about 60. It's not a sure thing, uh, but it's more likely than many of my competitors are saying because Putin can do it. He wants to settle the matter of Russian nationalism. He wants a borderline of states sympathetic to him from Belarus through the Caucasus, through Ukraine, and into even the Balkans, as well as the Middle East, to protect Russia, Mother Russia, from possible invasion and to keep the West farther away. And that's how Putin looks at the world, again, like a Russian czar. And it sounds like the Ukraine would fight in some capacity to repel an invasion, but it could be quite a battle. It could fight, and its army is much better than it was in 2014. It's much better trained, but the Russian army is superior. For the information important to rural America, join us on Agriculture of America. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. 
This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thanks for tuning in to AOA today, ladies and gentlemen. I've got a few news stories I want to cover before we shut the, shut the microphone off for the weekend here. Uh, we were just talking to Arlen about the energy markets and how that has been a huge area of focus for traders looking to cover some of their uh, inflation risk here in this new market. Well, we've also got a couple of other factors coming together. Uh, on this show in weeks past, we've talked to Dr. Ellen Wald and several other crude energy experts experts. And my question has always been, given the fact that crude oil's up here north of $80, why aren't we seeing domestic drilling resume to the level that it was, you know, say five, six, eight years ago, back when the Bakken and the Permian Basins were really rocking and rolling. And the fear that I've heard and we've talked about on this show is that a lot of these companies are hesitant to put a lot of investment back into exploration and drilling because they have concerns about how uh, this administration or any future administration might treat an industry that is, you know, being uh, called complicit in climate change. Well, it seems as though those might have been prudent concerns. Yesterday, a federal judge in the D.C. Circuit Court invalidated President Biden's uh, oil and gas lease. It was 80 million acres in the Gulf of Mexico that the federal government put up for lease earlier this year. Only 1.7 million, oh, only 1.7 million of that entire lease block was sold. So 1.7 million acres were purchased from uh, by gas and oil companies to, to go out there and explore for oil in the Gulf of Mexico. And this judge said, no, we are going to stop it. And they're looking back to an executive order President Biden issued back in January, January 27th of 2021. So literally a year ago yesterday, Biden issued this order that paused all new permits and uh, directed the Department of the Interior to launch a rigorous review, that's in, in quotes, of existing programs related to fossil fuel development. Then they were sued in March on behalf of 13 states, uh, Louisiana, Texas, several others came together and said, look, you can't do this. We've got to have oil and gas leases open. A court in Louisiana blocked President Biden's pause on sale of oil and gas leases prompted this sale of 80 million acres. Now a DC court judge has come back and said, listen, you didn't follow the rules you set out in your executive order and we cannot let this proceed. Uh, basically the, uh, the, the judge's argument was that we don't know what the climate impact of this lease is going to be. Therefore, you can't do it until the review is done. So it does sound like this will be challenged. This looks like it's, you know, theoretically could work its way up to the Supreme Court. Environmental law and crude oil are definitely very important issues to keep an eye on. While we're talking liquid fuels, we've also got some news from the EPA on the RFS. Earlier this morning, it was announced that EPA is extending the compliance deadline for 2019 RFS compliance. Um, this is for small refiners. They've extended it. They've kicked it out, uh, let's see, quite a little ways, actually. And they've extended 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022 compliance. Basically, the, the short version of this is that uh, all of those companies who need to blend either ethanol or purchase RINs in the RIN market now have several additional months to get those purchases made, whether it's actual biofuels or it's RINs in the RIN market, this extends that time period a little bit they've got in order to be in compliance. Now, this is not great news for an industry that wants to see the RFS held up and used as law. Growth Energy CEO Emily Score released a statement this morning about this very issue, and she said, quote, delaying compliance deadlines is completely contradictory to efforts to lower rising gas prices and increase the use of cleaner, lower carbon carbon fuels. By continuing to delay compliance deadlines, EPA is creating uncertainty in the marketplace and stunting the blending of biofuel needed to decarbonize transportation as the renewable fuel standard intended. So it does sound like this rulemaking from EPA is final. They have extended that compliance deadline and it 
might be sending some mixed signals about how serious this administration is about decarbonizing the fuel supply in the country. I also wanted to provide just a very quick update here on the situation between Russia and the Ukraine. We heard Arlen talk about it. We heard Jason talk about it. Belarus, of course, a vital uh, provider of some, some fertilizer components. We're seeing a bit of a stand down on the border there between Russia and the Ukraine. Obviously, we can't uh, can't take this uh, this to church quite yet. It's not gospel. But Putin did say that uh, he's willing to consider talking to European presidents. He had a phone call with French President Emmanuel Macron yesterday, and uh, he said, I'm glad that the U.S. and NATO are talking to us. However, attention was drawn to the fact that U.S. and NATO replies did not take into account Russia's principal concerns. Russia remains concerned with how NATO is going to be set up going forward. They're very worried, obviously, about weapons being placed on uh, on their borders. And so that's something Russia is going to continue to do. These conversations are continuing, but the war, war risk, rather, is not out of the woods quite yet. And I think we're seeing that probably a little bit in the wheat market today as those traders assess what risks might be out there. And folks, before we go for the weekend, I wanted to let all of you know that I am very excited. I will be in Houston next week for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Cattle Convention. Down at Houston, we'll be broadcasting from the trade show floor on Wednesday with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. I believe we are going to be in booth 600. That is the U.S. Meat Export Federation, of course, corn and selling meat overseas. That is a match made in heaven. We are able to sell all kinds of delicious beef and pork corn fed to our friends around the world. So if you are going to be at NCBA and you're on social media, look up the show on Twitter. You can find us at AOA underscore talk show. Drop me a note. I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to hear from our listeners, get caught up on what's happening from folks all around the country as we gather to talk cattle. Just a quick look here at the cattle markets before we go for sure. Live cattle up today, a little bit uh, February contract up about 75 cents. We've got April up 90, folks. We've got some positive headwinds in the cattle industry. We'll be back next week to report on everything that's going on in the world of agriculture. And if you're going to be at NCBA, drop me a note. Find us on Twitter and on Facebook, folks. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, Call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone.